very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Hello there and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Posterity Podcast and to all of you who've been giving me feedback over the last weeks and months. I just want to thank you so much. It's been very much appreciated. And for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome on board Foot Solutions, who are based, of course, at number two O'Connell Street. Foot Solutions have kindly come on board as a sponsor of the Posterity Podcast. And for those of you who don't know what Foot Solutions do, this is it. Foot, Foot Solutions know that no two feet are the same and that's why they're going goal is to work with you to understand what's going on with your feet and how it impacts your lifestyle. They help customers of all age groups and for those who have specific pain to those who present injury or those who are simply looking for comfortable shoes, they have everything that you could possibly need. They use the latest technology to identify any issues that you might have. You can contact Foot Solutions at 061-404-849. So this episode, I'm really delighted to welcome in studio a man who's making headlines nationally and possibly internationally at the moment. Um, The man who, on the 26th of June 2015, decided to purchase what was then known as the Roundhouse Pub in Limerick City. And a few months later, on the 18th of December 2015, they opened the pub that has now become known to all of us across the city as Mother Max. And for the last seven years, they've developed the Mother Max brand um, to the point where, a couple of weeks ago, Lonely Planet named Mother Max as one of the top 20 pubs in the country. What did they say? What did Lonely Planet say about Mother Max? Well, they said Mother Max is located right in the heart of Limerick City. It's an iconic building dating from the 1700s. It doesn't serve food, but you're not coming here to eat. They have over 150 Irish whiskies. You read that right? And whiskey tasting events that can be booked online with Cone or Mike. Craft beers are also a passion for the Mother Max team, and the list is ever changing. So, Mike McMahon of Mother Max, you're very welcome to the studio. Delighted to be here. Uh, I'm going to say it's absolutely fantastic to be sitting at this wonderful mahogany desk, greeted by cappuccinos as we as we came in through the door. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that my hospitality <laughs> sort of for a man coming from the hospitality industry, Mike. And enjoy that coffee, by the way. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, Mike, I want to find out a bit about you first before we go into the the phenomenon that is Mother Max. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up, and and what's what's your story from a Limerick perspective? So I suppose I'm one half of the team. Um, my, my brother James is also involved as well and together we, we, we bought it back in 2015 um, I suppose the, the beauty of being a team is that I can sit here this evening and, and have this conversation over the podcast with you while he, he's behind the counter doing what he calls the hard work and I get the easy side of it you know but we, I suppose we both grew, grew up we were both born in the city we've grown up in the city city kids um, born under the spire, as we as we would say, and we've gone on then to do other things. Like I mean, I, I left the city. I went on. I I was educated in in LIT. Went on to DCU. Um, and what and, did you study? Um, I I have. A, you wouldn't believe now if I was going to tell you. I have, a, I have a degree in chemical instrumentation and analytical methods from LIT. Say that again. Chemical instrumentation and analytical methods um, wow. from from LIT, and I have a, I have a PhD in in bio inorganic germanium uh, compounds uh, from DCU. 
Dr. Mike McMahon of Mother Max Pub. The only one that calls me that is the bank manager. <laughs> <laughs> and that's normally when I'm asking for something. <laughs> Where do you think your academia came from and your, your, your sort of desire to maybe follow that route? Um, look, it has, it has to be my parents, my grandparents. I mean, when, when you consider back, my, my, my father was a builder. Um, my mother was, was, was an exceptionally educated, smart woman. She, she worked for the Department of Agriculture in Dublin um, up until the time when, when basically she got married. And at that time, women um, couldn't work in the department once, once they were married, so she had to kind of leave. Um, but, I mean, she was a clerical officer, I, I, whatever else she went on to do with them. But, I mean, could, could read, could write, could use computers. I mean, and throughout her life, she continuously, I suppose, upskilled and re-educated herself and was an avid reader. Now, I was never really great with my hands. You know, the building side goes to the other side of my family, and my, my younger brother is, is, is exceptionally good at that. You know, but the, the head was always kind of, I suppose, my stronger capability. And what about James? What was his uh, background? What, was, what did he James get falls, up to? I suppose James falls in the middle. Like James is very, was a very practical kind of guy, you know. So James went on and went on to college and then went into the print finish um, print media um, world. He worked for a company called Cube, which we, we, we probably all know, like from Cleaners Foundation, etc. He worked for them for quite a number of years. Yeah, and look, I mean, I suppose at a time when we were in college, and at a time, I suppose, when when we were kind of just, I suppose, stepping out of the world, you know, we needed to work. So we, we found a job in, in, in the bar trade, in the hospitality trade. Anyone who remembers back, way back when, and we'll, we'll gauge the, the age of the listeners of the podcast by this, you know, if you can remember Doc's nightclub in, in, in Limerick City, that's where, that's where we started working. Um, so we worked there for, for many years, and then when we went into Trinity Rooms, we continued there. And you know, then left, I suppose, left the industry. But the industry never really left us. Um, and it was something that we always wanted to do was to get back into it um, because we, we, had a, we had a huge love for it. Now, when you finished and got your PhD, did you go on to work in that industry for a period no, of time? No, well, I, yeah, sorry. I went on, I, I did about 12 years in industry. I worked, um, I worked for, for, for three of the top um, pharmaceutical medical device companies in, in the world. I worked for, for uh, uh, Boston Scientific in Galway. Um, I, did, I did three years in R&D with them. I returned here to Limerick because, I mean, like, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Limerick kid. Like, I mean, I love the place. Um, so I returned and I was working with, with Wyatt just around the time that Wyatt was purchased by Pfizer. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years. And then I went out to Johnson & Johnson out in Vision Care. Um, worked there for, for a number of years as well. And all of that facilitated me putting the few bob together that would allow us to buy the building that is now called Mother Max. And... Do you remember the day that you both sat down and said, you know what, it's time? And did you have a concept or did you just have a vision, we want to buy something? I, I, I think we, we, we always knew we wanted to, to, to get into it. We always knew we wanted to go back to it. Um, and I think, you know, on one stage it was kind of like a semi-retirement plan. It was going to be what we were going to do to kind of relax and chill out and, and not stress ourselves too much. Um, and then... You know, as, as we were working harder and harder at our jobs, there came a day where we just said, you know what, we could be working for ourselves here rather than working for someone else. And, and the hours that we're putting in for others, you know, we could be putting in for our, ourselves. And we had, a very, we had a very frank conversation. We had a good hard look and we sat down and wrote a business plan. Um, and from that, then we, we actually developed what was... Um, the idea of Mother Max. And, and I'd be interested to know in that business plan, you know, when you, if you were to look back at it now, what was the first thoughts about in that business? What was the unique selling point that so, you were going to aim at? So we still go back to it. Right? We, we still go. So we, we, we did... 
for anyone's listening, a SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, threats. So we did we did analysis on on the city and on um, the business that we were going into, um, and and looked to see where we could have an opportunity, you know, where we where we could have our strengths in it, but also where the weaknesses were in the trade and, and where the threats would come from then as well, you know. So I mean, at that time, there wasn't a huge diversity in product that was that was been served, um, i.e., craft beer, local beer. Um, and there was there was definitely an ask for it, and we could see the movement in other parts of the country, other cities, as well as you know in in through the states and England. Because if if you think of it, there was a stage there back in twenty fifteen, like four percent of of the beer market in the UK was was craft beer. Now, and I'm I'm excluding real ale from that, right? Because real ale is a different a different element, you know. And and at that time, I think it was something like half a percent here in Ireland. You know, there was there was something like 40, 40 breweries. There's now maybe hundred and six today. You know, so there's it's it's ever growing, and no more than the food growth and the, the whole thing of, of of organic, fresh, local grown grown food and and produce. Beer is the same. So we, we knew it was gonna it was going to it was going to come to a stage where there's going to be a big ask in this city for for it. Um, now it is a big ask. So to move one hundred percent to craft beer was never going to work. So we needed to be a kind of a hybrid, a halfway that would that would umbrella for everyone to come in and encourage people to try new things as well as have the old reliables and the regulars that they, they were used to. I'm looking at the date, you know, 2015. We were coming out of where we were just out of our year of city of culture. Mm. It was probably coming toward, it was in the middle of a phase where Limerick was rebranding itself, was starting to get more positivity and more of an oomph about itself. Was, was that one of the reasons as well that you saw that opportunity? I suppose, consider where we live, um, consider we, we move through the city centre on a daily basis, like we live in the city centre. We, we still do live in the city centre. Um, it was a building that as, as kids we passed quite regularly it's a very iconic building um, and it was just it was I suppose it was more nostalgia to see that there was a, a for sale sign in the window and you're kind of going wait hang on a minute you know this this is actually in the same parish that we grew up in you know we, we, we know the building we know it as, uh, as kids we know it as adults it's so yeah we decided you know it, the time was was just right and when I look at it I mean the roundhouse and you are right it's an iconic building but I suppose back you know 2015 Putting a pub in a part of the city that, you know, when I think of Limerick City, you know, it's a weird city in the sense that, you know, you tend to have that Thomas Street, Catherine Street, maybe a little bit up on O'Connell Street now and then, you know, down around Nancy Blake's. And I suppose Nancy's was the, was, was the big spot down there. But once you move 100 metres in some regard, sometimes you're seeing, oh, you're mad, you're going out of town, you're, you're, you're too far up the street. And in a sense, to try and tell a crowd that they maybe need to move 100 metres further up in order to enjoy what you're doing was a challenge, I would imagine. It's like pushing a boulder up a, up a hill, yeah, it is. It, 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 it certainly is. And it's, I suppose, everything that you've said, we, we heard and were told, you know, I, I still have some of the text messages from, from some of my best friends going, you're nuts. Why? You know, why would you do this? Like, would you not just stay where you are? And, and that's fine, right? But there comes a, a, a time where you just, you know, and you know that it's the right thing to do at that time. And I suppose, realistically, how bad could it be? How worse could we make it? You know, it was it was what it was at the time. You know, it couldn't drop any further. We we could only make a success or, or get out quietly. You know, and hope and, and thankfully we've we've made a success. Now you bought the building. Well, we, we've bought like, the, the building is, is broken up. The building was broken up since Mick Portley sold it in nineteen ninety six. Um, so we, we have bought the ground floor in the basement and overhead the apartments are owned by 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 individuals as part of an apartment block that, that leads into it. 
Okay, so you have the you have the um, licensed premises yes, aspect correct, to yeah, it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you I'm looking at your website, and you know, one of the things I notice, and this might be James's influence, is that there's a definite branding ability that you have. You stand out as people who are able to create a brand and able to create an, an entity that, that is recognisable. Is that Was that something that was very important to you? Um, yeah, I suppose James brings a huge element of that to it and he, he's very, very astute in, in, in these things, you know, and and very quickly we had identified that there was a name above the door um, and there was certain connotations to that name and we needed to move from it. Um, for us to grow, for us to develop, for us, I suppose, to thrive as a, as a business, you know, we needed to shed ourselves of, of the negativeness that was there or the negativity that was there. Um, and look, I mean, uh, someone said to me recently, well, why'd you change the name? I mean, I, like, who wouldn't want to name a pub after their mother? You know, and it was called Mother Max after, after our mother. So, I mean, it was a very, I'm going to say an homage to our mother a little bit. And, and she's not with us today. Like, she's, she, she passed away a number of years ago, you know, but I, I know did she... Did you get to see the opening? Oh, she did. She was there. Right. Jesus, did she watch? She saw the floor in the open, to be honest with you. <laughs> we had a great day that day. Um, yeah, so look, no, she, she has, I suppose she's seen us go from strength to strength and has seen the business grow and grow. And look, unfortunately, she's not here to celebrate with us with the, with the Lonely Planet accolade. But I mean, you know, look, I, I know she's looking down on us from, from wherever, or hopefully, hopefully looking down. She's, I don't think she's going to be looking up. <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> As an American visiting in Ireland, Mother Max is by far the greatest bar I've ever been to abroad. Stacy's an absolute queen behind the bar and the pub is always full of great characters. I must visit for sure. That's one of the reviews that are up on your yeah. website. Personality and the people you employ and how you deal with people and how you engage in social media, that's really key to what you do, am I right? Oh, listen, I mean, I, yeah. people have to walk up the hill. You've got to give them a reason to, to, to walk up the hill to us. Um, and in, especially in the early days, and we, 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 we identified three things, and it was the people, place, and the product. And that really, for us, was, was where we had to, the challenges we had to hit. We had to have the right people behind the bar, the right people pushing for us, and we had to have the right people in the bar. You know, the right characters that make an Irish bar what an Irish bar should be. Um, you know, the place, it, it, it is a building that is, that is second to none. It's, it's iconic, it's, it's wonderful. You know, there's huge history and heritage to it. I mean, it was it was back in the '60s was the home of the O'Malley's. You know, it was it was a grocer's, it was a tea mart, it was a, a wine and spirit merchants. You know, so it's 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 in its bones, it's in its cores, it's in the boards and the floor. You can you can smell it some days walking in. You know, so I mean, it was it was it's meant to be like it's it's meant to be what it is, and we're only I suppose we're only helping it along the way. And it's it's a small bar. You know, it's oh, yeah. it, you're you're never going to be taken over the world in terms of floor uh, uh, footprint. You know, but so I mean, was that a challenge for you, or was that a worry? I, no, I, I think if I'm being very fair, we don't need much to survive. You know, and you, you could take a risk by opening a really, really big bar and and be forced to have to fill it a couple of nights a week and be looking at minimum numbers and you know, and that there are all the challenges that you're there. A smaller bar, it's a little bit more intimate. You actually get to know your customers. You can have a bit of bit of crack, a bit of banter, a bit of fun, and you're not as worried about the numbers going in. You know, and and because your cost base is a little bit lower, and and for us it was it was a, a better a better approach, because you know, we want to be there ourselves. You know, I, I don't I don't want to have thirty or forty staff working in a, in a premises. I want to be doing it. You know, I want to be behind the counter. I want to be having the, the the crack as much as anyone else. You know, I want to be enjoying it as much as the customers are. You know, so a small bar for us was was ideal. 
And what about the greatest challenge that you experienced when you first, from, from the moment that you took it on and decided, yep, we're going to create this? What was the what was the hardest thing about getting it off the ground, or even when it was off the ground, keeping it going? Um, I suppose that is that is a very that's a very difficult question. COVID. <laughs> right, the greatest <laughs> challenge we had was COVID. <laughs> um, I, look, but you'd have to city drinking whiskey online. We we had to look. Yeah, we, yeah. we had to pivot and we had to change what we did very quickly. Yeah, so we did. Like, and that's and that's part and parcel of what we are. But look, I think for every for everyone that says as a challenge, we we see it as an opportunity. You know, when when we when we opened the door day one, we had we had huge opportunities ahead of us, um, and, we, and we've grabbed them with both hands and we've we've run with them with both hands. It hasn't been easy. It has been there's been long hours. I mean, you've mentioned Foot Solutions. I'm wearing orthotics from Foot Solutions as we speak. Right, I work on my feet. You know, probably 16 hours a day. You know, which is great. And you, you won't hear a complaint from me because I love it. Right, I really do love what I'm doing. And, and James is the same. But you know, we don't use the word challenge typically. Opportunity. We see lots of opportunity. You know, and we and we, we grab them when we see an opportunity. We go for it. I see, on, again, on your website, nothing is given to you. You have to work for it. You quote Jack Charlton. Yeah, um, correct, yeah. That work is very important to you then. Yeah. Hard, I, I mean, you can work hard and you can work smart, but you have to put the time in. You know, and, and I I've, I've firmly believe, both, both myself and James firmly believe, you know, your effort will be returned. You know, people will recognize it, people will realize it, you know, and, and the harder you work at something and the more you give to it, and it's, it's not, and I suppose not just about the hours, the more yourself you give to it, you know, and the more your, your, your soul and your being that you give to it, the more that will be returned to you. Um, and it is, look, it, it, it's hard. This game is really, really hard. Anyone, anyone who, who is in it will tell you it's long hours. It's, it's sometimes very unpleasant, to, you know, but it, but it is very, very rewarding. It, it is probably one of the best trades, I think, in the world. Tell me about your staff. I mean, obviously with COVID and I've, I've talked to people around the city and one thing that I'm hearing is it's so difficult to retain staff, particularly in the hospitality industry, unless you give them something that makes them proud of where they work because, you know, it's two a penny. They'll run like, like that. Yeah. So what, talk to me about your staff. Uh, look, I have a guy by the name of Vinnie Galuli who works for me, works for me right? And I, I bought his birth cert from his mother. So he's mine, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and we, we, joke, we joke about it, right? But I mean, yeah, look, staff, staffing at the moment in, in the hospitality sector is exceptionally, exceptionally difficult. You know, it, it, it is challenged by the fact that, you know, we, we work long hours. We work sometimes, you know, difficult environments. Um, it, it can be hot. It can be warm. It can be loud. It, it can be, it can be hard work. It is hard work, um, but it is very re rewarding as well. Um, I suppose we identified very quickly that we 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 needed to take care of our staff during COVID, um, and look, we decided we were going to have a bit of fun because you know we are social animals. We're social beings, and you ask us to to isolate and exclude ourselves from others. You know, and, and no more than a, a flower, it'll wilt if you don't water it. You know, people will almost, their light will almost be extinguished if you don't keep it going. So we, we had a bit of fun through COVID. Um, where we yeah, tell me about that, because I mean, when COVID started, I mean, obviously, I think it was January, February, we were getting around into around St. Patrick's Day, if I'm right. So the word was starting to spread. Yeah. Okay, we have a virus. Okay, this is going to be a little bit more serious than we think. And then Leo Varadkar makes a, a statement on, in, in, on the steps of the White House. You know, I think probably at the beginning you probably thought, okay, look, 
this might go on for a couple of weeks, but as you started to realise it was going to be more serious, you had probably a decision to make. Go play golf or whatever you like to do in your spare time or really try and do something different, which you did. Yeah, I think I think really it, 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 it came very quick. Um, 15th of March... Uh, the, the the announcement came that we were we were shut we were we were closing that night was 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 it we were we were finished um, and originally that was for a three week period um, and it would be reviewed in three weeks and we'd see where we'd be after that but they felt it was going to be enough to to I suppose to get us through this twenty one months later we were still there you know so. I suppose very luckily, after a couple of weeks, because we, like in our game, there's always little jobs to do in a place, and there's always things to keep you busy, and a bit of paint, and a bit floors need a sanding, and all that kind of good stuff, right? So we, we took the opportunity to do whatever work we needed to do, um, and what we could do, in, I suppose, in in terms of the, the the regulations we were given and the guidances we were given, um, and then when when we realised that this isn't going away, this is staying on a little bit longer. Um, and we were having conversations with 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 the staff, and, and we were, we knew this was kind of this was going to be serious. You know, there was genuine concern and worry from the staff, um, not only about financial, but but mental. Um, I mean, and their mental health was was very important to us, and it is very important to us. So we started we started having a little bit of fun, and we, we you know simple things. I mean, we 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 bake cakes. We had we had a cake off. We bake soda bread. We bake Christmas cakes. We 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 taught them how to brew beer. We did an on we did a, a, a brewing competition, and you know we 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 roped in the agio. You know, the Open Gate Brewery joined us to, to do that. I mean, we had we had other brewers from around around the city and around the, around the country, 3D City. Steve joined in and helped us with that as well. You know, and then when we, we realised this this really isn't going away, we, we started, we, we, we decided we not only need to support ourselves, but we try and need to do something for the smaller breweries who are in a similar position to us, i.e. have a very small staff, are very family-orientated, and basically if they're not selling beer, you know they're not they're not surviving. You know they're not paying the mortgage. They're not they're not being putting food on the table. So we decided we we needed to I suppose innovate a little bit. And then the first innovation we we had was was growlers. So a growler is basically it's a, it's a beer bottle, a vessel that carries beer. So we had one liter glass swing top bottles, and we we fitted a, a filling system, and we started selling beer online. And people would come to to what we call their little growler window. It was like it was like hearing confession. Um, you had your time slot. You rocked on. You you collected your beer. There was a little story. You know there was a little conversation. And I have to say, right. It, if we could have recorded some of what was going on, it was great. Like it was just, you know, we we had people who had no one else to talk to that day, who rocked on for five minutes just to tell us that the cat wasn't feeling well and it wasn't great, and they were thinking of going to the vet and what do we think we could do? And it was all this great stuff, and it was wonderful conversations that were completely bonkers, but it made sense. It just it was. And it's interesting. I mean, I'd be your worst customer now because I pretty much gave up alcohol. In fact, mm-hmm. I would say in the whole of COVID, I probably had about four occasions where I had a drink. And, and it's funny, getting back to being a pub drinker for me, I'm finding a challenge. Yeah. But you stood out to me because the growler thing started. Then I noticed a lot of people doing the online whiskey, which we can talk about yeah. in a minute, you know, the, the tastings and so. And it was really interesting. There were probably others, but your use of social media and your presence and the fact that there was this community starting to evolve where people were, you know, sharing the fact that they could get the growlers and they could, and it, when you look back at it, it is actually bonkers, but to think that we were doing that and it was such an exciting moment to collect your bottle of beer yeah. and then drop it, and you were demanding people to drop it back because you were running out and I was following it, but it, you did probably build your brand further as a result of that. I suppose, yes, I, we, we got to know our customer better. 
Um, and, and I think if you, if you consider, like we, we again, we go back to the little growler window. You know, we, we, we got to know all our customers on a first name basis. We got to know their little quirks. We got to know a little bit about their personal life. Um, things that maybe on a busy Saturday night or Friday night you wouldn't get to, to know. You know, you, you'd have their first name. You'd say hello. You'd be pleasant. You know, there'd be a little bit of conversation. But now there's actually depth. You know, there's actually truth to it. There's, uh, I know something that someone outside of your circle of friends wouldn't know. So it makes you friends. And there's a privilege in that, isn't there? Hugely. And, and, and I wasn't joking when I said it's almost like a confessional, right? Because, like, some of the stuff we heard, like, was just, was. Like, some was serious, some was more bonkers. Others, you know, if we were to requote it here, I think we could be legally in trouble. You know, it'll be great crack. <laughs> but I think we're going to write it down as memoirs, like, for, for when we retire. And what about the whiskey tasting? Talk to, talk to listeners about that who maybe didn't understand what was going on. So I, I, I suppose it, it came out of... Um, we were approached by a number of companies in, 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 in the region who were looking to do something a little bit different with their staff, kind of build staff nights, morale building. Um, and we started doing some whiskey tastings, but whereby we'd, we'd send out a kit that had maybe four or five or six uh, portions of whiskey in it. And we, we'd get people to join us via Zoom. And myself and James then would do a tasting of the whiskeys that were included. And it was all meant to be good. It's good fun. Like It's not meant to be too serious. It's not meant to be... It's not a lecture, definitely not a lecture. It, it, it's meant to be good, good fun. Um, and from that, we, we kind of decided there was there was a larger portion of people who would have an interest. Um, and, and not being funny, we, we could make a few quid out of it because remember, we were at this stage, we weren't getting very much coming in through the door. As a business, we weren't actually being supported at this stage. You know, personally through the PUP, we would have been, but there weren't actually business supports per se. That came that came a little bit a little bit later. You know, so we had to kind of start and we had to do something. Um, and I think Paddy's Day was, we did a lot of fail Podrick um, tasting and we invited on, I believe it was Mr. Dan Mooney um, and Colin O'Connor, was from Celtic Whiskey Shop, and we had one other who, for the li- oh, sorry, I f- look at Jesus, how could I forget Emma Langford? My God, <laughs> sorry, Emma. <laughs> so they, they they joined. Oh, look, and they're look, they're good, they're good customers of ours, they're good friends of ours, and they're good crack, and they they like whiskey, and we we had we had some fun for an hour and a half on Paddy's Day that day, and I have to say we had we must have had ninety people join us. Um, for the tasting, and it was it was really it was really wonderful, even really was, um, and it's it's just continued. So we we've, we did three did three 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 blind tasting post that, and as a result, then we have we've actually formed Limerick Whiskey Experience, which is now going to be a tourism experience that we're going to offer tastings to tourists who will visit Limerick City and anyone else who wants to to have a look and um, www.whiskeyexperience.ie <laughs> Get the plug in, you might as well, you're here. Yeah. So yeah, look, and, and look, that's fantastic. And I mean, we, we were, we were. I was down in Metal, which is the Fall to Ireland um, gathering uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, plugging Limerick City um, and plugging, I suppose, Limerick Whiskey Experience as well. Um, it was fantastic. I want to get on to Limerick and Limerick City, which is where we're based and where you're living, I'm glad to hear. And one thing that I, that really strikes me of late was um, the, the whole High Street, Wickham Street area of the city that is quietly starting to become a really, really interesting place. I lived in London for a long time and, you know, when you came into communities where there was a real diversity of stuff, you mean Oxford Street did its thing, but when you got down back lanes and whatever, you started to find there's something happening on High Street and Wickham Street, and potentially now going up further into Parnell Street in time. 
Can you talk to me a bit about what you see there at the moment? Because I know that there's a group set up, High Street Hospitality. You have a real diversity in terms of the ethnic offering in food. Yourselves are open. You have the milk market at the very bottom of it. And then further up, you know, we have a mosque opening at the top of Wickham Street, you know, which is... The, the, cultural centre. Cultural centre, yeah, at mosque and cultural centre. And there's buildings popping up. You've got the Wickham Way around the corner. That Talk to me about what you see there. Heritage, history, place. I mean, if, if, you, if, if we look, Wickham Street and High Street were the commercial streets of this city for as long probably as, 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 as I can remember as a kid, you know, and I mean, even go back, go back to 1690, you know, when, when, when William of Orange was here, this was the Yellow Road you were on, this was the, the King's Gold was brought up and down. So it's, it's, it's a huge heritage there, huge heritage. And in terms of, I suppose, there's a, there's a huge sense of place I mean, you, you've named some of the some of the the, the, the diversity that's there. I mean, you're you're looking at like El, Eleanor Purcell in Cahill's tobacconist, you know, tobacco and tea. There are hundred, I think it's hundred and fifty years um, in the street, right? It's probably the oldest trader still in existence. Now, not Eleanor herself, but the business, you know, that that is that is still there in the city, right? It's it's phenomenal, right? And there's a huge sense of, I suppose, pride, sense of place, sense of history. You know, and and you you get it. You go in, go in there on a Saturday afternoon for a tea tasting, and you you you'll know all about it. Like she'll she'll tell you all about the city, all about the Yellow Road, all about her building, all about the tea and tobacco, and it's like walking back in time. You know, and I mean, it, if we could bottle her and sell her, it would be it would be just just great. And there's a number of traders around it. Like I mean, you you look at look again, one of the, one of the nice examples, Kennelly's Jewelers, right? Any kid in Munster who got a medal from the GA, it probably came out of Kennelly's. Right, and that's isn't that just a fantastic thing to think of, right? It, it's this huge, this huge heritage there. And of course, you were telling me earlier. I mean, the Flannery's that's just mm. at the corner there. You uh, there's a there's a there's a link to your oh. the two of you because we, you we opened at the same day. Yeah, yeah, we, share, we share a birthday. Yeah, we we opened the door on the 18th of uh, December, and it, it just so happens that that Patsy Flannery Senior, Pat Flannery Senior, in there was telling us that that he opened the door on this on the very same day, and that that Flannery's is actually the origin the seed for the rest of the flannerys in Limerick City. So that that's home. Now, I know someone will give out now and complain about it, but that is that is where they started, and that's that's their home and they spread from there. I want to ask you about what needs to be done going forward, because we're we're both well, I consider myself still a bit young and I'd say you're you're I consider you young as well, Mike, right? Um we're sowing seeds for a future in a city, okay? Now, I understand there's been debates around pedestrianisation and all sorts of arguments about pro this and pro that. I look at that area and I see, particularly when you look up at Thomas Street and you sort of see where the corn store leads you up to the Wickham Way now and you have a few interesting premises open and then you come down to you, then you're into the milk market, then you're around up by the side of Cruiser Street. I'm going to start with cars, right? First of all, Cars tend to be using the city as a means of zipping through and running up and down. And I look at that area and I think if we were limiting cars more and putting people first, the reason I'm asking you this, I think we could be then hitting on to a really, really interesting public realm exercise in how we could develop a part of the city that just make puts people first. And all of these places popping up, all of these unique individual businesses that are being opened by brave people, I think will benefit hugely from something like that. What are your thoughts? I think, you know, last summer, in terms of public realm, the, 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 the city and county pedestrianised quite a lot of the, the 
the city areas, close some streets, ourselves included. We we have back lane. You know, there was there was we can't call them parklets. There was build outs, um, and and which are still in existence. There was there was a time last June, and I can remember, but mid June walking. Oh, I took a good walk around the city, and it, you you could be anywhere in continental Europe. It was just it was fantastic. There was a buzz. There was a hum. There was a vibrancy. It was a livable city. I think that has to be the model going forward. And I think there's, you know, when we talk about proof of concept, it's done. It, we've done it. We've proven it. it. It can it can work. And what would you say to other retailers who maybe are slight? And you know, it's not their fault. They're looking after their business, and they've they've maybe known a way of working for many many years, and and see a car as being. I've often like laughed at this. You know, the, the idea that maybe they think the actual physical car comes into the shop to buy things. And maybe last year we started to prove it, but I think there's still people who hold off very strongly and put very strong arguments over to the local authority. And what happens then is you get a middle ground of a sort of a, you know, negotiated deal. And it maybe steps us back because we haven't just taken that big step forward and allowed something to happen that, as you say, becomes livable. Look, I think life is about compromises and a city centre is about compromises. I guess, but just just back to the, the the traders, you know, a lot of those traders have grown up in the business that's there, have lived there. There's generations involved in it. There's a huge sense of ownership. There's a protectionism there because it, it is the family business. I mean, I I can fully understand why why any of them would have a would have a a concern and an issue with I suppose decreasing business or with with the fact that the business may not be there in in the next two five ten. 20 years. I mean, they want, they want to hand it to their kids and their, their future future grandchildren, etc. But yeah, look, I think we, we need to, I suppose, we need to take that and we need to take that sense of place and that sense of pride in place and harness it, you know, and, and use that and work in conjunction to try and make the areas a little bit better. And it's not, it's not necessarily about pedestrianisation or not pedestrianisation. Pedestrian, I mean, I think there can be a very, very good blended approach. And I mean, if you look at look at cities around the world, I mean, like San Francisco is a wonderful example of it, where, where there are pedestrian zones with, during pedestrian times, um, but there's still delivery strategies, there's still disability and an and, and ability strategy so that everyone can get it, get access to, to shops um, and stores, you know, but, but there is, a, a, I suppose, a recognition from a safety perspective that the greater the footfall, the more risk and probability of risk if we bring vehicles through it. I think the argument that I would use on this debate and this discussion, and I, I don't at all be about cars because we've, we, it's been done, but the, the keys down on the waterfront, and I said this before, the keys on the waterfront are technically what's called a shared space. Now, a shared space means that I could walk with two kids in a buggy in the middle of the road and the car should meander past me. But if you actually stand on the keys at the moment, you'll notice that anyone coming from Shannon Bridge down to um, Arthur's Key that wants to make a zip down, mm. they go down at about 50 or 60 kilometers an hour. And yeah, fine, we've wide footpaths, but it just means that that space doesn't turn into a place where thousands of people gather and congregate and cars meander, or maybe cars decide to go elsewhere. And what I, the reason I say that is that when you form a middle ground, and when you come to a compromise, it's often the people who have been doing it for years abuse that compromise and you end up with this mishmash, wishy-washy end result. And, you know, that's where I think Limerick could be brave. And, you know, I'd be interested to ask your lane that you have. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a presence there now. It hasn't necessarily 
killed the area for the three cars that used to drive up it. Um, but I mean, it's created, it's, it's, done, it's made life hugely different for you. Listen, it's, it's, created, it's created a buzz, it's created a stir, it's, it's, it, it potentially is one of the factors why we were included in Lonely Planets. You know, uh, I mean, it, last summer was, 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 was immense, was fantastic, was, was just was beautiful. As I said, you, you could have been in any European city, but you were sitting in the middle of Limerick. And, and that is a, that's a huge statement to make. And I, I think sometimes the weight of that statement gets, gets kind of lost, right? Because, you know, here we are and, and at a time when they said outdoor tables won't work. People won't sit there. Now, I know the beauty of COVID was they had to. There was no choice. You know, and, and it forced people to do it. But I think in doing that, I think it, it kind of changed the mindset and opened our eyes to, to outdoor living a little bit better than we were, we were used to. Um, and I think people, I think people are going to expect it going forward. I think people, and I think we will see more of it. When you were given the space outside, and you were told, "Yeah, off you go," what did you put there? As in, like, tell me, tell me what people are sitting on and what yeah. you invested in yeah, physically. So we, yeah, we 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 bought twenty five crash barriers. We bought wooden fencing, and we had a painting party one Tuesday morning to paint up all the fencing. So we create we created an area, a fenced area. Um, and every every day we were putting out a number, maybe thirty tables, ninety odd chairs. Um, coming are in they out. wooden benches or what? What are they? No, they, these were these were fo- these were foldable metal tables. They're actually they're actually called um, cafe style tables. They they fold out. We put them out, and the the the, ta- and the chairs then were a combination of solid chairs and foldable chairs. You just couldn't get furniture at the time, so we bought whatever we could get. Um, and yeah, look, they came in and out every single day. And the reason I ask you, you didn't overly design, you didn't go crazy on expense, and it worked. It did, yeah, it worked, yeah. We're seeing at the moment on Thomas Street and Bedford Row, mm. okay, a number of premises getting these, what I am going to put, my, I'm going I'm to say this now publicly, overly designed metal structures that are being stuck onto certain premises. And to me, they're causing more of a disruption and they just look wrong because what we're doing is we're trying to be clinical in how our city is looking. If there were 20 of what you did down Bedford Row and Thomas Street where people were allowed to have paint parties, were allowed to come up with their own concepts, but were given the space... I think it would be a much interesting look. But would I be wrong in that? I don't think anyone is right or wrong. We're all entitled to our own opinions. <laughs> I think Diplomat. I, I think, look, if, if, if Fall to Ireland and Limerick City and County Council and the Metropolitan Area came to me and said, we want to give you a pagola, I would be foolish to say no. Okay. And that, that is... that is Because a, they're paying for it and it's been yes, handed to you and yes. it's going to help when it gets rainy. And yes, correct. Right? And it, it's a fixed structure that's there that, that is designed for all weather. Right? So, so what, we, what we did... Now, perhaps if they gave you that and allowed you to do whatever the hell you wanted in terms of branding and painting it and, and dolling it up and glamming it. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. I, I, don't know the, I, I actually don't know the logistics of, of what they can and can't do with them. You know, and I think we'll have to let that one play out. But I mean, but isn't, isn't it wonderful, right? And I, I, as a trial, and I, and I look at this as a trial, right, on those streets, because if it works there, surely to God, they're going to, they're going to look at expanding it out and including other businesses as well. You know, because that would be only the right and fair thing to do, considering we have, we're, we're all ratepayers in, in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, they are, they are an asset. And, you know, it's an acknowledgement, I believe, you know, from, from the metropolitan area and from the city and county council that outdoor areas worked. You know, and, and while they may never say that or may, may never publicly shout it, 
they're putting in pergolas, you know, because why? Outdoor areas. Maybe work. giving you a lane is the first test in saying we might do it <laughs> elsewhere too. Um, so I'm going to come back to, I want to use the microcosm of High Street and Wickham Street, right? And I want to ask you, what would be your top three things that if we were over the next five years, because I'm starting to realise more and more that maybe you do have to negotiate and get these things over the line over a period of time. I want things done tomorrow. But the top three things that you really, really think would make a difference from the milk market up your street and High Street up into Wickham Street that would really change how people perceive it. Yeah, look, that, that's I suppose that's that's an easy question <laughs> because I suppose at the traders of, of both streets prior to the, the development plan commissioned a report um, by by an architect here in the city to, to look at to look at that very thing. We could look at the long term things, right? But I mean, e- even immediately, there's some very 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 easy things immediately that can be done. Flowers are are, are cheap and look fantastic. You know, planters, street furniture, remove street clutter. Even a good old cleaning. Public so, realm. Public realm, yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's something that, and it, it's not something that we're asking for that others haven't got, right? And I mean, if you consider Parnell Street has been done quite well in terms of the public realm, the seating there, there's, there's planters, you have hanging baskets, the lighting is quite adequate, it's quite good, actually. You know, if that was to continue down, because, like, imagine the picture, right? Here we are today, right? And... We're going. We're going to have a, an absolutely fantastic golf experience outside the Dare Manor later on this later on this summer, and people are rocking into Colbert Station to see the city, and they're going to come down to the milk market because it's it's the jewel. It's 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 what it's what most people will want to see, in particular at the weekends. And you're going to come down a beautiful Parnell Street, and then you're going to hit Wickham Street and into High Street, and we we look like I suppose the the second cousin. A little bit, you know, but um, look, I'm 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 hopeful that that sense will prevail. I'm hopeful that that this has been so. Public well, realm one. What would be your second? I, I I genuinely think that to listen to the to listen to the traders, I think is is a very important thing. I mean, now you've set up this. I see it called High Street Hospitality. Um, there seems to be a a, a group or there's something coming out of there so anyway. We, we we have the high we have the high weekend traders, um, which which are basically all the traders got together to to look at the area ourselves. Um, and to see how we can work together and collaborate to to bring about an improvement, um, like uh, like simple examples. And my my own self, my own business. I mean, we we do we do a thing on a on a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday with the local food businesses. We do burgers on a Monday, bows on a Tuesday, and chicken wings on a Wednesday. So you can get a pint with the chicken wings on every Wednesday for a set price. And and, and the chicken wings are coming from across the road. They're and, from across the road, delivered in delivered into you. Sit down inside my place and drink your pint, eat your chicken wings. Same with the burgers and the bows, right? And there's lots of little. I suppose collaborations like that that can go along go on I mean even I know that the, the guys in, in the thrift stores are looking at doing a thrifting trail you know something that's already happening which which I didn't even realise Wednesday seems to be the day that it goes on you know um, a lot of the art art students from the art college go thrifting on a Wednesday up around the area because I think this, this is five, four or five thrift shops and Wednesday is the day to get the best bargains and the best gear and they they just do see them like it's it's gas, like it's nuts. It's fantastic, and I, you know, I hate when people compare big cities. But you know, my time in London, and I used to love traveling to different places in London every weekend I'd go somewhere else but remember you know you used to go to Camden and that sense of place in Camden was radically different from you know Balham or so I see the Camden 
in as a microcosm now. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not expecting you know the world to change and on High Wickham Street, Wickham Street and High Street tomorrow morning. But you really are creating something, and and it's it's showing by who's opening businesses there as well. I mean, look, I, I remember reading. I remember reading a handbook from San Francisco, and a second time I've mentioned them, but they're they were quite. This was they were ahead of their time in in the public realm and the public public space, and they had a they had a. It was almost like a checklist. You know, you need to have a tattoo studio, you need to have a cafe, and then you need to have a craft beer bar. And now you have a Bohemians, you have a Bohemian street or Bohemian area. And it's quite funny because, I mean, those three exist, you know, and, and now we have a sushi bar. You know, now we were serving bows, which are a Chinese or Vietnamese sandwich. You know, we have a Filipino re- restaurant cafe. You know, we have the Wickham, we have the Wickham Way, which is serving, I think, was it, there's four, four or five food trucks, and it's good food up there. You know, we've five thrifting stores as you, as you walk around. We have solicitors, we have hairdressers. You know, it, it's, a, it's a real go-to little little street, two streets, you know. And then we have the likes of the Wickham, you know, which are craft cocktails, absolutely fantastic. We have Crew Brew, microbrewery, um, you know, or Brew Pub. They're great guys, you know, they're making good beer. You have Pat Flannery, who, who arguably is, is I, I don't want to say the king of the Flannerys, but it's, it's the home of the, the Flannerys here in town. There's massive heritage in, in that place, and he's a great character. You know, but, but And you have a famous market tapping it off down oh, at the very bottom. You, you, you have know? the jewel. I mean, it, it is. It's been described as the jewel. And, and really, you know, uh, the footfall that goes in there every Saturday morning is, is second to none. You know, and and it is it is a credit. I mean, to Dave Fitzgerald and to the trustees down there, how well how well it works and how well they're doing down there. You know, and as opposed to the traders as well. It's it's a very exciting time down there, and I mean, it's it's again coming back. I want to just look one one more thing. We were looking at like the livability. To me, livability means people, and I mean, I don't know what your thoughts. You're living in the city. I'm living in the city. Um, we probably need another couple of thousand people to be living in the city, or what we perceive as being the city, for it to start becoming a thriving destination post six p.m. The evening economy and the whole look at what we need to do and this is a more national question what are your thoughts on the evening economy currently and what changes would you advocate for if we are to be a really European city I I think we need to be very careful when when we talk about that because it's very easy to get caught into a very Dublin centric evening economy where where you have huge livability, huge footfall you have people in, in the areas you know, at the moment in Limerick City, we, we don't have a lot of people actually living in the city. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting, right, because High Street and Wickham Street, we've been discussing it here, you know, is, 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 is growing and is, is getting much better. It's probably one of the most, they're probably one of the most lived-in streets in the city. You know, think, think of it, there's, there's nearly, like, I think it's 120 or 130 apartments, you know, on, on the two streets, right, which, which equates to almost 300 people. There's no other street in the city that has that. As a, on its doorstep. On its yeah. doorstep, right? And, and as, as a result... Now, do you... As a, I'm only, sorry yeah. for interrupting you there, but do you see, as a result, do you see people who are living in those places popping down to enjoy your hospitality because they're right next door? Well, what I was going to say, as, as, a, as a result, now we have five, five food outlets, you know, when, when there was only one. You know, as a result, we have the Wickham Way, which is which is now another food outlet, and there's there's two lovely shops up there when when that didn't exist. You know, so I mean, what has happened on both Street is is a direct consequence and result, you know, of people demanding, of wanting, of need. You know, they're, they're living there. 
you know they need to live they need to need to sustain themselves and you know and I think it, this will this will continue it will grow and I think as we we address in the city the livability the city will will will, will become vibrant again I think it will grow Okay, and uh, final thing, I, I wrote a piece years ago in, in the Limerick Leader where I called for this thing and I'd heard, I think they were doing it in Amsterdam at the time, it was the idea of a nightmare, and I, bear with me. The Dublin, there was a nighttime economy task force report which came out last year, you probably know about it, and IBEC commented, and one of the, one of the key actions identified was maybe a dedicated pilot nightmare or nighttime economy advisor in, in Dublin. The reason I mentioned it for Limerick a few years back was that I noticed that with the art college and with the music promoters and with the edgy young people that we have, and we have many of them, a lot of them that I knew started to leave or maybe say, I need to go and experience London or I need to go to Amsterdam. And we were losing a bit of brain power. And the reason I'd mentioned the nightmare thing was that by identifying someone who has got brains and brawn, who maybe understands the evening economy who understands the people playing their part in the evening economy, having them to be the advocate or the conduit to the local authority could potentially help people within the local authority to get it. Do you, you know what I mean? What are your thoughts on a nightmare in Limerick? So I think, I think you, you, you posted something on Twitter probably about two years ago um, in, in regards to that. Uh, I'll have to go back then. We'll double check it, but I think we, we followed up quite quickly under it and we, we suggested that Mick Dolan, we, we'd, we'd vote Mick in as, as the nightmare, you know? And I, I think, look, I think 100%. I think we, what we've... We have one of the, the the greatest creativities in this city, in in, in Europe. You know, we, we have we've, we've two colleges, there are three colleges, even though we will call Chewson there as well, right, that are, that are the envy you know, of, of, of Europe. You know, we've, and many people don't realise the art college is actually, Limerick LSAD is true. seen around the world as being one of the top. Top, top. top three in Europe, I think, or so, is in, in, in terms of fashion, and I can't remember the, the other stat, stat that was there, but it, 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 it's instantly recognisable outside of the city. And, and yet sometimes we don't really recognise it ourselves. And I suppose it's, it's the old saying, if you're sitting there looking at it, you don't, you, you don't see it. I often quote this uh, line, and I think it was uh, it was a, a, a Kavanaugh, was it a Kavanaugh poem, Advent maybe, was it through a chink too wide there comes in no wonder. And it was the idea that a kid on, on Christmas morning looking through a keyhole to see what's in the room is just filled with wonder. But open that door and let it all in and suddenly that wonder dissipates. And I think maybe sometimes we're looking at it with the door open and it's time that maybe we come back to Limerick looking through that little keyhole and get that wonder again. Because if you're too close to something, maybe you become... And I'm the I'm the worst for a slap on my hand, Nigel. I can be a little bit maybe... And I'm not going to call it negative. I would call it more questioning around where we're going in the future. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, look, listen. As children were taught to question... Children were taught the question, and I, th- I think asking a question when it's in a positive context is, is fine. It's, it's asking a question that that's seated in, in something else that's not good, you know. So I think look, we should be asking these questions. But but back to it, the, the nighttime economy in in this city is struggling, and it has been for a while. And I think you know even post COVID, it has not returned to where it should be. And probably one of the biggest concerns, like I, I personally have, you know. We're seeing Falter Ireland placing a huge emphasis on the city now. We're, we're now a gateway city to, to the World Atlantic Way. We're seeing Limerick City County Council placing a huge emphasis on promoting the city outside of Ireland, both nationally and internationally. 
we're seeing a push to bring people to destination Limerick. But that's great. What do they do when they get her? And we we just we just need to, to I suppose the, the piece of the jigsaw that's missing. You know, we, we need we need to address that before it's too late because you know now is the time to plan, now is the time to address alongside all the, all the big pushes that are going on. I've had some experience within the local authority structure. Okay, and one thing I would say, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this, is that the way that the graded system works in a, in something like that, and it's not just local authority here, it's everywhere, include, it goes into governmental things, is that you rise up the grades and you get to certain points within the organisation. If I think you are the yes man who does what he's told and say, or does what she's told and moves on and, and does, doesn't rock the boat. I think what you're referring to there is that we possibly need someone to go in, not at a top level, but someone with radical creativity. In, in fact, someone who's the total antithesis of what they normally have, but someone who's willing, who they will be willing to listen to. And, and until we do that, I think we're maybe just going to go back to what I was mentioning earlier about the sterile thing, is that I think we need to really just step outside our comfort zone and try something different and be, be brave about it and see what happens. It's a big comment. <laughs> I, I mean, know, if you were brought in tomorrow morning and you said, look, James, you look after the pub for the next two years, I'm being brought in as our evening economy advisor to the city, you'd be different. Mm. But you'd run out of it if the ideas you brought to the table weren't taken on board. I suppose I, 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 I look at it because I came from industry. So, I mean, I can't, I can't speak to the public service. I don't, I don't know. Right? I really don't. Um, in industry, you know, the, if the idea makes sense... And if there is benefit to it, then it will be run with, you know. And it doesn't matter where where it came from or who it came from. Now, obviously, the higher up the food chain, the, the easier it is for you to express it um, to the right to the right direction. So, look, I can't I can't comment on that, but I think what would be the first thing you'd do if you were nightmare tomorrow? Employ McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, you're doing the typical, the, the typical civil servant thing. Give the job to someone else. Uh, no, no. Look, you know, you know what? I recognize, recognize your 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 your, your weaknesses and your <laughs> and hire someone in to do it. You know, look, I I think I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something because I mean, last last year, two, sorry, two years ago, there was there was a there was a wonderful plan drafted by the by the, by the council um, under the living with COVID. I think it was 20, 24 or twenty six pages. It was very forward thinking. It was, uh, you know, I, I think I, I took to social media to say I, I, a big clap. You know, I thought this was absolutely wonderful. You know, that there was a lot of very practical, very easy, easily approachable ideas in there. And it was, it was great. And if we could have delivered on maybe even 50% of what was in that report... We, we, we'd have a fantastic and, and if I was to ask you what do you think in your from well, your understanding you're on the ground how much of it was delivered well that report didn't even get a chance I mean there was a whole there was a whole debate over two pages which were pedestrianisation you know and, and you know I think we need to just like for me there's a bigger picture here you know we, we, I think the creativity is there at times I think that I suppose how we communicate how we liaise how we deal with, with the likes of myself as a trader probably is what's lacking a little bit. Um, because like So the consultation? Yeah. Cause and I the mean, engagement? Like, yeah, I, I love my business, right? And I, I want to protect my business. And, you know, I, I'm sure 
every other trader is exactly the same. Right? And, and I'm coming up seven years in a business. Imagine someone who, whose family have owned it for 70 years, you know, and who have a huge heritage there, who have it for, for the grandkids, who see the succession going through it, right? You know, your, your house, your house is, your, is your home, is, is your castle. You know, you want to protect it. And I, I can understand why there is there is walls been built, and I can understand why there has been deep, deep conversation and unhappiness. You know, but I think that there needs to be better consultation. Um, I think that you know that plan. If we, if you if you go back and look at, it, if you get a chance, go back and look at it. I think it was it was fantastic, and I think it became the footprint for or the blueprint for for a number of other cities in in this country that used it and 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 worked it really well. You know, and it, and it was a missed opportunity for us. It's the posterity podcast. So the final question I want to ask you is when I said it to James Ring recently, when the two of us are in Camillus's and maybe we'll be in. You're you're in one bed and I'm down at the other end and you're trying to get me to sip the whiskey before mm. we pop. If we were having a conversation, what would you really like to have been able to say? You know those years when we were all talking about Limerick for the future. Mm. We got that right. Wow, well, that's a, that's that's. I should have listened to the podcast with James. I'd have copied his answer. <laughs> 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 you know, I I think for me. I don't think it's about the big things. And, and I think sometimes we get caught up and, and, and too heavily focused on, on the big projects, the big things. I mean, I think it's about creating a city where people, I suppose, reigniting the pride that they have, you know, with the traders, with those living in there. And probably the, the single biggest achievement that can happen is to bring footfall back in. And whether that be through livability and, and converting apartments or shops overhead, you know, where people can live, you know, or, or building new developments, so be it. But livability is, is, is key to the future of the city and, and it, it'll remove the stranglehold that's kind of on the, the city centre. Mike McMahon from Mother Max, I wish you all the very best as Lonely Planets won top 20 pubs in Ireland. And I think that for years to come, there'll be more awards coming. Um, I wish you and James the very best. Follow Mike's advice. Go to Foot Solutions. He's wearing the best orthopedic shoes you could possibly get. I'm looking at them and they're pretty stylish too. Thank you to Foot Solutions for coming on board as sponsor of the Posterity Podcast. I'll be back with you in two weeks' time. Thanks to all of my listeners so far. Look forward to bringing you more thoughts and insights from people across the Limerick region over the coming weeks and months and um, mind yourselves thank you very much Mike you've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me Nigel Dugdale produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra if you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post.